We're back to the book of Colossians. If you'll recall, I started a series on Colossians. This is part five of my series. I wasn't sure exactly how many parts, but we're at part five. There will be one more, and then we'll wrap this this series up. Uh, But we've been looking at this letter. It was a letter written by Paul. He was in prison, and he wrote a letter to a church that he'd never been to, and that was the church in Colossae. But he'd been talking to Epaphras in this prison, and he'd heard about it, and Epaphras was from the church in Colossae, and he was telling him about the church. But what Paul said to that church, if you'll recall, I've heard about your, your faith in God and your love for men. I mean, he'd heard good things about this church. He'd heard great things about their reputation, great things about what they were doing. But Paul, being a pastor, he had some encouragement for them. He had some concern for them because he was hearing other things as well. And, and, and as we've looked at this, we've kind of come back to these verses each week. Since then, you having been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And this verse is compelling because he's speaking to a church that is experiencing some pretty good things. And sometimes our eyes get focused on what we experience. Sometimes our eyes become so settled on either what's good or what's bad around us. And Paul is saying to them, there's greater things for you. He's saying there's greater things for you to be experiencing, for you to be doing. There's greater things than just this faith in God, love for man. There's greater things for you if you'll simply set your heart and minds on things that are above. My hope is that as a church, that as we've been going through this series, as we hear this time and time again, we're trying to figure out, wrestle through, what exactly does it look like for us to set our hearts and minds on things that are above. In my notes I have, we limit God when our hearts and minds are in the wrong position. I mean, it's that imperative that we can set our hearts and minds on things above because oftentimes I'm limiting what God wants to do because I'm not looking and I'm not listening to what God is asking or saying for me to do. And so I'm limiting what God wants to reveal in me. I'm limiting what God wants to reveal through me because I haven't figured out this discipline of setting my heart and mind on things that are above. We've talked about greater things that God has for us if we're willing to learn how to do this. We talked about there's a greater hope for us in his kingdom through Jesus Christ. When we set our hearts and minds on things above, he said there's a hope stored up for us in heaven through Jesus Christ if we can position ourselves to see it. We have greater hope. We have greater purpose. We have greater qualification. We have greater riches when we set our hearts and minds on things above. And today I want to continue looking at the greater things that are ours as children of God and his kingdom, if we can focus on him more than we focus on stuff. In today's verse, actually, it's going to be one, it's going to seem a little bit odd, so I'm just going to tell you what's happening this morning so you can track with me so you're not distracted. This verse, it seems a little bit out of place because it's a rebuke or a correction from Paul. Uh, I want to read the couple verses from Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to look a little bit at the context in that chapter. And then I'm going to look at the context of Paul's writings to the other churches. Because we're going to talk about something that Paul absolutely loves this morning. 
We're going to talk about something that Paul speaks about time and time again, uh, something that, that he's seen the value of that we need to see. Um, and before I get into this too far, this verse this morning is actually the catalyst for this series. We were in church one Sunday morning, if you recall. I was going to preach on the book of Jude because it was a short book. God was asking me to preach through a book, so I was picking the shortest one in the book because that was going to be easier for me. It wasn't going to be five or six sermons. I mean, it's going to be a couple. I was going to call it, Hey Jude, I had a cool title. We were going to sing some Beatles together and go on our merry way. And I was in worship, and I had already been preparing that sermon, and Walt prayed something one morning. I mean, he's prayed it before, but he prayed about sinews and ligaments. And so I started looking that up in Scripture, and I landed on some verses that I'm going to read right now. Maybe. Why? I might have one out of place. So here we go. And this isn't it. So let's just see. There we go. This should not say Ephesians. So if you're taking notes, this should say Colossians because that's where we're at. That's why I was confused there for a moment. Sorry about that. And now I got a weird scream on my iPad. Okay. So uh, Ephesians... Not Ephesians, Colossians. I better pray. God, we come to you this morning and we pray against distractions. We pray against things that stand against your word today. You've got a word for us about a greater thing that you desire for us to have, to experience, and to know. And so we pray your anointing continue in this place. We submit ourselves to you and your word, asking you to speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 And 19, I mean, that is way off, so I must have just copied and pasted and not changed. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Now, this is a weird place to start. Uh, Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So we have a verse here. Paul is is writing, and he's writing about some people, the who in this verse. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility, the ones who say they're they're humble, the ones who lift themselves up and have this prideful problem, they've, they've experienced angels or whatever, speak to you things that are against the word of God. That's the who, right? That's what's happening in the beginning of this chapter. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, verse 4, this is the who that he's talking about. Because there's some who are coming... So that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So the who, from Colossians chapter 2 verse 18, just so I can say this very well, there were some that were coming and they were speaking to the church, this church in Colossae, the church in Laodicea, and they were speaking things that were counter to the word of God. And Paul speaks about them. And we can read verse 19 as either a punishment 
or as an excuse. It just depends on, probably from Paul, he's talking about punishment, just because Paul can be pretty, we, we, we read this morning in Sunday school, he argued persuasively. Um, but what he's saying is, either the reason they're leading you astray is what? They're disconnected from the head. That's either the reason or that's what's happened because they're trying to do this now. These were people who knew Jesus Christ, who'd been in part of the body of Christ, right? I mean, it's what we're seeing here. But then something happened and it caused them separation from the body of Christ. And because of that separation, they were now weak. You see that? I mean, it says they're no longer connected to the head, so they're lost, and, and, and they're no longer supported because they're not a part of this body that's, that's held together by ligaments and sinews. Today I want to look at the reality of the promise for the body of Christ that we have greater connection within the body. That when I'm part, Paul loves, and I'm going to look at this a lot today, the body of Christ. Paul loves to talk about the body of Christ. Paul loves to write about the body of Christ. It's something that, that he's passionate about, even in this chapter. Let me keep going. Oops, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Here's the who again. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. In Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power in authority. So this whole chapter, Paul's talking about some who have separated the body from, from the teachings, or they're trying to, 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 to separate the body from the teachings of Paul. They're trying to deceive them. And the result is that they've been separated from this beautiful thing that, that is ours in Jesus Christ. Paul loves it. He's talking about the product of your faith. So just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord, the beauty that came in our lives is that we were invited to be a part of the body of Christ. Tim used a word in worship. When we submitted to him, that's allowing him to be the head. That's the part that tells us what to do. We were given a great privilege in the body of Christ. And Paul's admonishment or his punishment for these people, I mean, Paul could have said anything about those who were leading them astray. Like, why wouldn't Paul said they'll be taken out and, and, and beat with, with whips? What he described them, those vile, terrible people that should be hung by their toes and, 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 and have salt poured in their wounds. I mean, he could have said anything about them. But what he says when he's talking about them is that they've been separated from the head and they're no longer strengthened and supported by the body of Christ. What greater punishment could there be? I mean, it's compelling. Paul loves the body of Christ. He writes about it many times. Romans chapter 12. So this is to the church where? Rome. That wasn't a trick question. Church in Rome. That's not the same church as in Colossae. Just pointing that out. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ 
We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he wants them to recognize the value of the body of Christ. What's he saying? There's one body with many parts. Look around this room. We are different. We've got different ages. We've got different sizes. We've got different nationalities. We're all different in this room. But the beauty of the body of Christ is that in the midst of our differences, we come together and we form something beautiful. He expounds on this a little bit more in his letter to the church in, Cor- in, in Corinth, the, the church of uh, uh, Corinthians. Man, my iPad is not cooperating. Technology. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Someone needs to underline that verse. Someone needs to hear that verse. Someone needs to receive that verse. God has put together the body of Christ. Paul loves the body of Christ because it's a bunch of things that are different, that come together to do something that is incredible. Too often. Often in church, too often in what we're doing, we're trying to become something that God didn't create us to be. We're trying to become something or someone else that we saw along the way. Guess what? Rowing is Rowing, and there's not another Rowing in this church. Rowing, they said amen to that really quick. I don't know if that's good or bad. Watch this. Jim is Jim, and there's not another Jim in this church. But, but too often, what we're doing is we're trying to become something that God didn't make us to be. God knew what he was doing when he created us. And God knew what he needed from us when he made us. And so we have to acknowledge the beauty of the body of Christ is that even though someone's telling me something that I'm not sure I believe, I don't have to believe that to continue to be a part of the body. Do you see the beauty of the body of Christ? Can you imagine someone that had all hands? I mean, it's like a cartoon, like they're just a hand, right? They can give you a high five and they can shake your hand. That's about it. God made us how he made us because God is smart. Can we say amen to that? 
God knew what he needed for you in his kingdom when he created you, when he formed you. Yes, I recognize that sometimes I have to die to myself. Sometimes there's some parts of me that God didn't design but became a part of me because of my flesh. And yes, that needs to be crucified with Christ. I acknowledge that completely. But God has made me and given me a place, and my place is imperative in his kingdom. I shared a story once in church about a plane that that, that had crashed. And the reason it crashed was because one bolt wasn't in place. That bolt probably wasn't in place because the nut wasn't where the the designer wanted it to be. God made some nuts. And the nuts are important. Man, someone said this is a good sermon for me this morning. I'm not talking about pastor, I'm talking about you. Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Oh. I guess I can keep reading this as he repeats himself. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. In the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. In the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. There's unity in the body of Christ. The book of Ephesians is another letter. Do you know what church this was? Come on. Ephesus. Here we go. We're learning something today. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. See, you were created for a purpose. I encourage you to live your life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's how the body of Christ works. Someone might need to underline that one. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The important part of the body of Christ that Paul is emphasizing to the church in Ephesus is that there's unity in the body of Christ. What word did he repeat over and over? One. He says one several times. I didn't count them. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have to recognize now, sometimes it's hard. We're so different that we like to highlight our differences. And we just say, I'm going to be me in spite of what the body's doing. We have to find our place in unity with the body. To the church in Ephesus, he's stressing the unity that is, the connection, the purpose that is within the body of Christ. And look what happens. This who comes back. He says, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their scheming. 
They're deceitful scheming. For the church in Colossae, they were those who were trying to deceive them. They were puffed up and prideful. They had false humility. It's happening today. I'm telling you, there's those who will try to deceive you. But he says, we're no longer infants. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in him every respect of the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and held by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There's greater connection in the body of Christ. Yes, we have a common purpose that we're about. We all grow up into the head. Yes, there's unity and there's diversity in the body of Christ. But the emphasis Paul is making to the church in Ephesus, it's an emphasis he's making to the church in Colossae, and it's an emphasis he's making to us today, is that there's greater strength in the body of Christ. What examples is he using in this one? Tanner's not here this morning. He says you're no longer... Infants, when you picture a baby, who pictures someone strong? But he promises us what? To grow up and become the mature body. Now those who are mature, there's strength. It's the the implication of strength that comes through the body of Christ. There's shared purpose, there's shared dependence, and there's shared strength in the body of Christ. There's greater connection within this body. Paul loved the body of Christ enough that he wrote about it consistently. This is not to, to brag on Christ Community Church in Crawford, Nebraska, because the body of Christ is way bigger than us. We're probably just a nut in this whole call called the body of Christ. Okay? But I've had several conversations with people about their place in our church. And oftentimes what they've talked about was just the way they felt a part or they felt a place. There was, there was a peace, there was a comfort, and there was a, a, a position of their heart when they came here. They, they couldn't necessarily put their finger on it, but they knew when they were here, this was where they needed to be. I believe that when the body of Christ functions the way that God designed it to function, it's a place that people want to be a part of. The problem? There's a lot of people that don't want any part of the church. Because we haven't been effective at being the body of Christ. There should be strength. Ecclesiastes 4. I don't have a slide for this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. If two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands can't be broken. There's power in the body of Christ. There's power in being a part of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ isn't a locality. It's not a geographic location. It's his kingdom. It's our part in the kingdom. I just want to do this for fun. I was talking to Levi this morning, and he brought some friends with him. And I just was going over where they were from. It's amazing when I start thinking about where we're all from and assembled here in Crawford, Nebraska. It's not about how we're made. Now, I'm going to start this off. I'm from Kentucky. 
I think we had Omaha, Colorado. We had uh, Iowa, and we had Kearney, and, 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 and Levi quietly said Crawford. Where are we from in this room today? I'm from, I'm from Kentucky. Where else are people from? Crawford. Okay, we got a proud Crawford. Missouri. Minnesota. South Africa. Missouri. Wyoming. Luke and Savannah were here. They're from Montana. The body of Christ is cool that we can be from all these places. And remember my first Sunday, I'm not from here. I'm not a cowboy. But the body of Christ is incredible. That it's not about where I'm from And it's not about what I've learned. It's not about what I do well and what I don't do well. It's not about how personable people are or how impersonable people are. But we can come together because we have a commonality between us. And that commonality brings purpose. That commonality brings unity. That commonality brings understanding. We can come once a year and feel like we're welcome when we're here at church. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. That's not because they're bad people. It's because they don't live here, by the way. So don't think I was pointing at them and being mean there. Man, pastor's really calling people out this morning. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. I can be wherever. And I can meet someone who loves Jesus Christ and I can feel strength and I can feel encouragement and I can feel unity because of Jesus Christ in them and through them. When we set our hearts and minds on things above, there's greater connection for us within this body. Jim? Sometimes things get severed from the body, correct? Yep. What happens when they get separated from the body? Yeah, Jim's got to learn how to pick his nose. Because your finger's dead, right? How strong is that finger? (laughs) There's no joints and ligaments and sinews anymore. It's weak. Because it's been separated from the body of Christ. There's no longer life in that. You know, when I think of, of dead things, because that's what this thing... Now, for whatever reason, Jim uses his finger once a year, and it's Halloween because he's still got it in a jar in his freezer. But that's besides the point. I love you, Jim. So I guess there's still a purpose for us when we've separated ourselves from the body. We can find humor in it. Anyway, that's besides the point. But there's a story that I was thinking of when I was reading about the joints and sinews. And it's going to seem like an odd story, but there's a prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Ezekiel. And God led him to a place. And I want to look at what God led him to because I think the key to the strength in the body of Christ is found in the prophecies of this prophet. Ezekiel chapter 27. Ezekiel is led to a valley of dry bones is what it says. 
And it says in verse 2, he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. They were weak. They're dead. He asked me, son of man, can these dry bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you're not going to trick me here. Only you know. (laughs) This is a trick question. He's been a prophet long enough to know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The first prophecy, because he does it, he obeys and does this. I guess I'll just read the whole story before I start preaching. Man, I was going to preach right there, but I better just keep going. No, I guess I can do that. I guess I didn't put the whole story in there. Never mind. He prophesies what to the dry bones? What does he prophesy to them? He prophesies to them, hear the word of the Lord. The first thing that brings strength within the body of Christ is absolutely the word of the Lord. We grow up into the head. We have to hear His Word so we can know His purpose. We have to hear His Word so we can be a part of what His plans are. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. And the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word is Jesus Christ. If we're going to have strength in the body of Christ, we must know the Word of God. It's interesting, he prophesies, bones come together, but there's no life. So Greg, he does this again. He says to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. So the word of God plus the prophecy of breath. What did Jesus do? I think it was in the end of John. It says he, he what? He breathed on his disciples, and they received the the Holy Spirit. What I see the prophet doing to find strength, to find connection in the body of Christ, in this vast army that's being formed, is he prophesies the Word of God, know the Word of God, and receive the Holy Spirit. We have unity because the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God are within us. We're the dwelling place for the Spirit of God and we're the dwelling place for Jesus Christ. So when we come together, it's a common spirit. It's a common knowledge that we share. That's the greater connection. One more prophecy. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we're cut off. You see, they've got a way that they understood. But in verse 12, he says, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. He says to them, you say, you might say that I've been separated from the kingdom, but I've still got a plan for your life. You might say that I've been cut off. You might say that I'm without hope. You might say that there's no purpose for my tomorrow. But God is saying, no, I've got a plan and I've got a purpose for you. And once you get busy about my purpose, that mighty army starts move, moving to the place that God caused it to be. That's the greater connection. That's the connection that we share. That's the strength that we have when we come together. We've got a common word. That's Jesus Christ. We've got a common spirit. That's the spirit of God. And a common purpose. That's the kingdom of God. That God wants everyone to experience. And because of that, we're connected. It's not about if you're a Steelers fan or not. And you want to talk about a miracle in the kingdom of God? My two best friends in ministry. One lives in Pittsburgh. And one loves the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm a Bengals fan. But none of that matters, you know? We used to be able to talk about Nebraska football, but I guess we could talk about Colorado or Oklahoma, but it doesn't resonate quite as much today. We're just happy to be North Dakota, okay? See, I can, I can make fun of the Huskers and you can still love me. You may not like me, but you can still love me. Because it's bigger than that. Because that stuff is in this world. And when I set my mind and my heart on the things that are above, it doesn't matter. There's greater connection, you guys can come forward, in the body of Christ. You know, one of the places that, that Jesus, this is why it's cool this morning, it just happened to fall on his calendar, and Greg just happened to preach last week, because all this stuff is just coincidence in the way that God works all this stuff out. It's the first Sunday of the month. And Jesus gave us an instruction when he left. And what was that instruction? He said, I want you to do communion and do it in remembrance of, of me. Now, I, I was single for a while, and I used to eat alone a lot. <laughs> it's more fun to eat with someone else, right? Except for when they're eating your food. Just don't eat french fries with my wife, because you won't get any. God, he uses this table as, as a reminder. What is this called? Okay, it is the body. But it's also, what's this whole thing called? Communion. What word sounds an awful lot like communion? Communa. Hey, communication. Man, Jim, you're on, you're on a ball. You're getting all the answers, just not the ones I wanted. Because when we come to this, it reminds us of the word. It reminds us of, of the Spirit. When we come to this, it reminds us 
of the purpose that in spite of, of everything else, in spite of the, we're going to eat real food in just a little bit, but right now we're just going to have a cracker and some grape juice. In spite of all that, there's something in this, the blood of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of my sin, my privilege of being called one in his family, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, because I know the word of God. In my spirit. The spirit of God that he's placed in me is compelled by his plans and purposes for my life. And this morning as, as we partake in communion, my heart is that you embrace the greater connection that is yours in the body of Christ. It's not just a greater connection in this body, but your greater connection in the whole that is the body of Christ. I'm going to ask uh, if we can have some gentlemen or ladies pass out the elements. And this morning, as, as we prepare for communion, I want it to be a celebration of the body of Christ. A celebration of our, our connection in his body. A celebration of, of the promise of, of our place, the, uni- the unity that we know, the purpose that we have, the strength that we can draw from because of his body being ours, us being a part of it. So this morning we get to come to the table. It's a table that's been prepared because there was a place for each of us at his table. It's a table in which we, we remember the unity that is in the midst of our diversity. It's a table in which we remember the strength that we have, the power and connection that are ours. Because of Jesus Christ and because of what he accomplished, Elijah prophesied to the dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I prophesy this morning to this church, receive the word of the Lord. That's Jesus Christ. That's Christ who is within us. That's Christ who came and died so that sin could be forgiven. That's Christ who, who died upon a cross so the fullness of what I've done could be could be forgiven and I could be redeemed. Hear the word of the God. I prophesy receive his spirit. The breath of life. I prophesy know his plans. You may have felt dead. You may have felt this this is impossible. This can never happen. But God is speaking to you this day. I have plans. Lift your eyes up. Stop looking down. Lift them up toward the heavens. I've got plans. There are purposes. There are promises. There are people. There are situations that need you within the body of Christ. You may have lost hope. But I'll restore it. 
through Jesus Christ. We know this through communion. Paul to the church in Corinth wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took bread, and when he broke in it, he gave him thanks. And he said, This is my offering us his body at the table. This is my body. The word, the spirit, the purpose, plans. It's yours. We have to receive it. God, I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for Paul's writing, for his, his explanation, his, his pictures on this body. I thank you, God, for my place in the body of Christ. I receive, God, my place. I receive, God, your purpose. I receive, God, the word of God and the spirit of God. I receive the body of Christ in its fullness, in all that is the strength and encouragement, the hope and love that is ours through this body. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, let us partake. It says, after supper, in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you that in the body of Christ, this blood brings life. I thank you that this blood allows me to continue. I thank you that this blood was shed so that I could have life heaven to the full. I thank you for my connection. Let us partake. God for the body of Christ. Amen? I think I can see why Paul wrote about it so much. I think I can see why he found it imperative that we understand how powerful this body is. It's ours. We get to receive it. Amen? The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you live in the body of Christ. Amen?